So our sermon this morning will focus on our entire scripture reading, but chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 serve as a sort of key to help us understand what's going on in this entire passage, and we'll refer back to them often. So let's read together once more 1 Samuel 9, the verses 15 and 16. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. So far. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, when was the last time you went to see a play or a stage performance? You arrive at the theater, the curtains are drawn as last-minute preparations are being made, and when the time is right, the curtains go up, the set's revealed, the characters take their place, and the play can begin. And yet before you get to that stage, a lot of work needs to be done. And for those of you who've been involved in a performance like this before, I think you know what I mean. Weeks or even months beforehand, you have to prepare for this play. You have to choose the story. The set has to be built. The costume has to be put together. The musical score has to be chosen, and the list goes on and on and on. It's a massive undertaking with all sorts of people involved. And often, many of these people remain behind the scenes. But when it all comes together on that day, then it's a really marvelous experience. And our text this morning functions in a similar way. There's a lot of action going on, lots of different characters involved. But as we'll find out this morning, a lot of this is actually behind the scenes. And even more striking, a lot of the people in our story don't actually know what their role is. But God does. God is directing everything exactly as he has planned. And as we'll see this morning, God is sovereignly directing all the people and all the events in our text as he prepares to reveal the office of king, which he is establishing through Saul. And so our theme this morning will be, through Saul, God establishes his kingly office. We'll see three points. First, God's control. Second, God's confirmation. And finally, God's commission. And so first, God's control. In chapter 9, we're introduced for the first time to Saul. We read there that he's got a wealthy father, and Saul himself is handsome, and he's a head taller than anybody else of the Israelites, just the sort of person that everybody wanted on their basketball team. But that's all we learn before we're introduced to the next set of troublesome characters, the donkeys. They've gone missing, and so Saul's father, Kish, he urges him to take a young man with him and to go looking for these donkeys. And this might seem strange to us, but donkeys were no small matter for the people of Israel. Donkeys would carry people, they would carry goods, they would even plow your fields for you. And so it's like one of us losing our car or losing our truck or maybe even our tractor. And so Saul and his companion, they set out on this wild goose chase or a wild donkey chase, and we're left here wondering, you know, what in the world is going on in our passage? Why are we being told about these lost donkeys and the men who are chasing after them all over the country? And so a few days later, 
Samuel, or pardon me, Saul and his young man, they're about to give up, but they stumble upon a city where there happens to be a man of God. And we learn that this man of God is Samuel. And I think when we hear the name Samuel, suddenly our attention is piqued. We know Samuel is an important person, and we wonder, okay, well, how is Samuel going to play into our passage this morning? The young man with Saul, he thinks that Samuel will tell him which way to find the donkeys. But I think we know that God has much bigger plans in mind than simply finding those lost donkeys. We know this because we read chapter 9, verses 15 and 16 beforehand. God had revealed to Samuel that this Saul was to be anointed as prince over the people of Israel and that he would save them from the hand of the Philistines. And so suddenly, this whole matter of the donkeys, this chase, it's put into perspective. This is not some wild donkey chase with no purpose. This is the divine guiding hand of God, and he is leading Saul to exactly where he needs to be. And this is God's divine hand in control of, of all life, not just Saul's life, but, but your life and my life as well, and even the life of your neighbors who are all around you. It's God who has led Saul to Samuel so that Samuel could anoint Saul as prince over the people of Israel so that Saul could deliver the people from the hand of the Philistines. And who of us could have predicted that as we began reading at the beginning of chapter 9 this morning? But just consider some of the things which God needed to have in his control as he brought Saul to Samuel. God had to ensure that the donkeys ran away. God had to ensure that Saul took the proper route to find Samuel. The servant just so happened to have a few nickels in his pocket which they could give to Samuel. And Samuel himself, he was just arriving at the city in time for Saul to come. And the young women, they were just coming out of the city at just the right time for them to urge Saul and his young man to go on into the city. And so what we see here in our text this morning is how God is so intimately, so closely involved in every little detail in our text. These things which start off seemingly meaningless are actually God's providential hand which is put on display for us all to see. And as we learn from Lord's Day 10 of our catechism, we learn there that God's providence is his almighty and his ever-present power, whereby as with his own hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. Everything from the blades of grass which you've cut this week to the food which you'll eat today for lunch, even your own health and sickness, all of these things are controlled by God's providential hand. And he's holding us all in his fatherly hands. And he's assuring that nothing in this life will be able to separate us from his love for us. Now, God does not always tell us why the things in our life happen the way they do. In our text this morning, Saul also had no idea why he was going out on a, on a wild chase to find the donkeys. He thought it was about the donkeys, but it was about something much more. And so also for us, God does not give us a special revelation. He does not speak directly to us and tell us exactly why things happen in our life the way that they do. And yet, we understand, we believe that every moment of our life, 
is fully in the hands of God. And we can be confident that God is working out his perfect plan also in our lives and that there is nothing that will snatch us out of his fatherly hands. And so we can ask ourselves this morning, are you experiencing sickness in your life? Or perhaps you're still grieving the loss of a loved one. Or maybe you're struggling under the weight of depression or anxiety. Or maybe at this time it's hard for you to make ends meet in your family. Well, remember, brothers and sisters, that God holds you in the palm of his hand. And even these things, health, sickness, food, whatever it is, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. And we can look at it from the other angle as well. Perhaps you're experiencing joy at this time in your life. Or perhaps God has provided for you in a, in a wonderful way. Well, these things too are from his fatherly, his providential hand. And no matter what happens in our life, whether we're struggling, whether we're doing well and having joy, all of these things, good or bad, they are from God. And they're things which God works always for the good of those who love him, even if we cannot see at this point in time how God can possibly be using any of these things to bring about something for our good. And so God has providentially guided Saul to Samuel with the intention of anointing him as prince over the people of Israel. But we, asked, we can ask ourselves, was Saul prepared for this task? That brings us to our second point, God's confirmation. Saul certainly does not think that he is prepared. When Saul tells him in chapter 9, verse 20, that all that is, in des that all that is desirable in Israel is for him and for his father's house. Saul replies, he says, well, who, me? My tribe's the least. My family clan is the least. Why are you saying these things to me, Samuel? And yet, this was the man whom God has chosen. This was the man whom Samuel would anoint as prince over the people of God. And to show Saul and to also show us that the Lord had indeed chosen him, the Lord will now confirm Saul in various ways and show him that this is the task which he has been called to. This is the office of king which God is calling Saul into. And so the first confirmation which Saul receives comes from the meal which he shares with Samuel at the high place. Samuel seats Saul in the place of honor and then he starts to bring out the food for the meal. And now I'm not sure what your favorite cut of meat is, but if it happens to be the leg and everything attached to the leg, then you would have actually made a really good priest in Israel because this was the portion that was reserved for the priests. You can read about that more in Leviticus 7, verse 32. And so even though Samuel is the one performing priestly duties, even though he's the one who's there to bless the sacrifice, he takes this portion of meat usually reserved for the priests, and he sets it before Saul. Now, this doesn't mean that Saul suddenly becomes a priest himself, but we should take note that Samuel is honoring Saul in a way which is typically reserved for only the priests in Israel. 
And Saul himself would have taken note of this action done by the man of God to him. But it's not until the next day that Samuel finally makes it plain what God's intention for Saul's life is. Turn with me to chapter 10, verse 1. We can read there. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. Now we need to pause here and ask ourselves, is there something significant that Saul was anointed as a prince and not a king? The people had asked for a king, and now Samuel anoints him as a prince. Well, the answer is there's no real significance here. The term prince was often used to refer to someone who would later be crowned officially as king. And if we read on through the end of chapter 10, we see that already there Saul is referred to as king once he's been officially coronated. And we know also that David was referred to as both a prince and a king. But regardless of what he is called, Saul has been anointed by God, by a man of God, and this was a significant thing. And now the ceremony itself might seem a little strange to us. I'm not sure how many of you would like to have a big flask of oil poured onto your head. But the oil, it points to something greater. Just as the water we saw in baptism this morning, it points to the great promises which God has made to us in his covenant. And so the oil, it shows that a change of status has taken place. It shows that God has taken this man from his life and he's chosen him and set him apart for a special task in his kingdom. Close to the end of 1 Samuel, David himself would demonstrate the significance of being the Lord's anointed. And boys and girls, do you remember what David did when he had an opportunity to, to kill Saul when he was in the cave? Well, I think we all know David refused to, to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. David was even extremely guilty when he had only cut off a small corner of the robe of Saul simply because he was God's anointed. And this shows us there is a significance to the fact that Saul has been anointed as a prince over the people of God. This was a man of God. He was anointed to a special purpose. Honor and respect was meant to be given to Saul. And so after God anointed Saul as king, we see suddenly a, a flood of, of signs that follow after to further confirm this new prince. In the early parts of chapter 10, we read about these, and again, these were specific signs down to the exact detail, which shows the providential hand of God even in these things. But God does not only give Saul signs. He comes to Saul, and he brings real change into Saul's own life. In chapter 10, verse 9, we read that God gave to Saul another heart. This was a heart which would make Saul fit for leadership. And if giving Saul an entirely new heart wasn't enough, then even the Spirit of God comes upon Saul, it rushes upon Saul, 
and he begins to prophesy with a group of prophets passing by. Now, this prophecy was not some sort of ecstatic or trance-like state which Saul was suddenly caught up in. This was a sober prophecy, but it was a joyful prophecy, a proclamation of the word of God, accompanied by those various musical instruments. You could think of it like this. Saul and those prophets, they were, they were teaching and they were proclaiming the word of God to the people around them. And if we think ahead for a moment to the New Testament, we can think of a similar situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There, Paul encourages believers, and by doing so, he also encourages us that we should prophesy to one another. In 1 Corinthians 14, those who are listening to such prophecy, they were meant to hear it, but then also weigh this prophecy, consider this prophecy, so that all those around them could be built up and encouraged through it. It's not some new revelation, but it's, it's interpretation and application of what God has already revealed. And so this is what we should have in mind when we see Saul prophesying along with all those prophets. And if we think about it, this is actually a very fitting thing for Saul to be doing. If we remember last week from Deuteronomy 17, where the Lord describes what his king should be like, he says that every king should have his own copy of the law, which he had written himself and which he would read from every day, so that he could fear the Lord himself and also lead the people by example. And so now here is Saul prophesying to the people the word of God. And so here we can see that God has, has called Saul, he's anointed Saul, but he's also equipping Saul for this task which he has given to him. This task which would become God's office of king. And I think this is how God also works with us, brothers and sisters. God has given us all a specific calling or even a specific office in life. And he doesn't just give it to us, but he's also going to equip us for it. We heard in the announcements this morning that next week, Lord willing, the church at Devon will be instituted and new office bearers will be installed as well. These office bearers, they've been called by God through his church, and God will do much more than call. He will also equip these men for the office he's given. But maybe some of us are thinking this morning to ourselves that we're actually a bit like Saul. We think that God maybe made a mistake in choosing us for the office which he's put us in, or he's made a mistake giving us the task which we have in our own life. Maybe you think that someone else would have made a better elder. Or maybe you're a parent this morning and you think, why has God given me children or perhaps many children when I struggle to raise them in the fear of the, of the Lord? Or maybe you're a teacher struggling under the workload. There's so many offices, so many tasks which we're called to, which we often feel inadequate to fulfill. But again, we can kind of turn this around and think of it in the other direction. Maybe you're more like the people in our text this morning who were quite surprised when they saw that Saul was prophesying. They said, who is this son of Kish? Is he a prophet too? And so maybe you at times think 
you know, why has God called that man to office? Or why has God made that man a father? Or why is she a teacher? She's not fit for that task. But whatever the case might be, brothers and sisters, whatever role, whatever task, whatever office we have been given, or whatever role we see other people in, these are things which God, again, has given through his providential guidance, by his providential hand. And as we saw with Saul, God will not only give these things to us, but he'll also equip us for these offices which he gives to us. Even though we might be weak and sinful people, ultimately God will work through us to bring about his purposes in the place that he's called us to. And so we come to our third point, God's commission. So all these things that God had done in the life of Saul, his confirmations, these signs, even the equipping through his new heart and the rushing of the, of the spirit, these all had a purpose for Saul. And we learn about this purpose in chapter 9, verse 16, once again. At the end of verse 16, we read these words about Saul. It says, He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. And if we turn ahead to chapter 10, verse 1, this idea of saving from the Philistines, it gets expanded to saving the people from all of their surrounding enemies. Now, this was a, a monumental task for Saul, defending all of Israel from any enemy that might come against her. Yes, it would require military might, but it would also require unity, unity of the people of Israel, unity in, in submitting to this new king which God is giving them, and unity in defending and fighting against the enemy. We touched on this briefly last week as well in the book of Judges. This book already is calling for this unity. Boys and girls, do you remember the common refrain throughout the book of Judges? It says there, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so what was needed was a king, a king to unite the people of Israel and a king to ensure that people did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, not what was right in their own eyes. And yes, the Lord did raise up judges for this purpose very often, but the judges often defended just a small portion of the territory of Israel. And once they had died, people would descend back into chaos, and more enemies would come up against them once again. And so we can see that even judges is calling out for a king who would maintain justice, throughout the whole land and bring unity to the people of Israel and defend the borders. And so this was the commission which God was giving to Saul, and it was a, a weighty commission. And yet, I want you to notice this morning why God gave this commission to Saul in the first place. This is the end of verse 16 of chapter 9 again. We read there, Saul will save the people from the hand of, of the Philistines, for I, that's God, have seen my people, 
because their cry has come to me. God had seen the oppression of his people under the Philistines. He had heard their cry for deliverance. And even though in chapter 8, like we saw, the people had rejected God as their heavenly king, God had not left his post. He was still watching over his people Israel as their true heavenly king. And he still was hearing the cries of his people for mercy and for deliverance from their enemies. And so we can see in this chapter that God is not giving the people Saul as their king simply to fulfill their wish for a king. God is giving them this king because he is merciful, because he's heard their cries, and because he does desire to save his people from their enemies, from the Philistines. And this really shows the faithfulness of our God. Even though we are not faithful, even though we ourselves do not always fully commit ourselves to him, and even though we at times even completely reject God as king over us, God does not reject us. He remains faithful to the covenant that he made with us, a covenant to be God to us and to our children and to all those who are far off, those beautiful promises we could hear again this morning in baptism. God is always listening to the cries attentively of his people. And yet, when we consider Saul in our passage this morning, we're really only beginning to scratch the surface of what God intended for this office of king. The curtains have been drawn back just a little bit, and Saul's commission is only a small part of what God had planned for future kings in Israel. Just think back for a moment to the, the confirmations that God had given to Saul. We already know that Saul has been anointed as prince, but remember that Saul had also been honored as a priest right alongside of Samuel. And later on, Saul had also been given the spirit of prophecy when the spirit of God rushed upon him. And so we don't only have a prince in our text this morning who would later become king, but we have the makings of a king who would also be a prophet and a priest as well. And if this is starting to sound somewhat like the, the threefold office of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's because it is. That's because this is the office which God is establishing in our text this morning. Now, thinking of Saul, he really only functioned as a king during his reign. He defended the Israelites from their enemies. And after Saul, David and his son Solomon they would be good kings and they would also function to a certain extent as, as priests and prophets as well. We can think about the Psalms and the Proverbs that they wrote and at times they would offer sacrifices. But none of these men, neither Saul or David or Solomon or any of the kings that would come after them as well, none of them functioned or fulfilled the office of king perfectly. During Saul's reign, Samuel remained close to him as a sort of prophet and priest. During David's reign, during Solomon's reign, there was always other prophets and priests in Israel. And they could not fulfill this role perfectly. But on the other hand, our Lord Jesus Christ, it is he 
who does and who has fulfilled perfectly this office of king. He is the king who, who governs, defends, and preserves his church, but he's also the prophet who has fully prophesied concerning our redemption, and he is the priest who has offered his own body as a sacrifice for sin once for all. And so through Saul and through the events leading up to his anointing, God was actively working behind the scenes to prepare this kingly office. And through Saul's confirmation, through Saul's commission and his equipping for the task, God showed to us a little bit what this office of king was meant to look like. And this was all meant to to give us a small glimpse of what our future Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would look like. But even now, knowing that Jesus has come and that Jesus has redeemed us and has fulfilled this office, it's not the end of the story, brothers and sisters. God has pulled back the curtains a great deal with the coming of Jesus Christ. But this office of king has even more in store for us. Right now, as we sit here in church this morning, Jesus Christ is still reigning as our king from heaven. And Jesus Christ will continue to reign until he has defeated all his enemies, even death, which is the last enemy. And during this time, God continues to work behind the scenes. He continues to work in our lives. He continues to work in the lives of the church and in the lives of the whole world. And we can trust that whatever happens in this life, God is preparing us for that great, that glorious day when he will fully reveal to us this office of king, that great and glorious day when we will fully see Jesus Christ as he is and when we will fully share in all the glorious benefits of this office of king. Amen. So we'll rise and sing in response Psalm 145, the verses 3, 4, and 5.